but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of their burden and the staff for their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to their own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, they came t- the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that that, that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at, the shepherds, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The Gospel of Christ. As we remain standing, I'll invite you to bow your heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and thank you for your presence with us this night. We'd ask as we reflect on the gift that is your Son, Jesus, that we would behold his glory and receive his grace. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Luke's Christmas story begins in the darkness. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. We hear those details as locating Jesus' birth into a place in time. Not so for the original readers. That opening line would stir up in them sorrow, rage, a yearning for something different. Christmas begins in the darkness. Caesar Augustus, adopted son of Julius Caesar, had brought an end to Rome's bloody civil wars, pulverizing his rivals under the boots of trampling warriors. In so doing, it was proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the entire world. He was proclaimed Lord and Savior for bringing the Pax Romana, or peace, toward Rome. He declared his father to be divine, to be a god, making him son of God. Temples were erected to locate the empire's worship of him. He issues a census. Rome is exerting its control over its conquered provinces. Registration meant severe taxation, imposed enlisting of subjects, possible conscription into the army. In many ways, a census amounted to enslavement, often stirring up revolts which were quickly and ruthlessly crushed. Augustus. Savior, Lord, Son of God, bringer of peace. But a peace built on oppression, violence, injustice. Christmas begins in the darkness. In the darkness, shepherds watch over their flocks by night. And light pierces the darkness. An angelic host proclaims that a new king has been born. Lord, Savior, Son of God, bringer of justice and peace over all the earth. How? By grace. By gift. For the angel's message is peace amongst those on whom his grace rests. Right at the beginning of the Christmas story, a choice is laid before us. 
Which king will you serve? Which kingdom will you belong to? The kingdom of Caesar or the kingdom of Jesus? Will you enjoy a peace that has been brought about by violence, oppression, and justice? Or will you enjoy a peace brought about by grace? Every single Christmas since then, the same choice is laid before us. Which king will you serve? Which kingdom will you belong to? How can that be? I mean, Caesar is long dead. Rome's presence only crumbling remains. But Rome was only the most current face of the darkness. The gods of Rome continue to be worshipped. The gods of power, wealth, pleasure, self. The human race continues to enjoy pockets of peace and prosperity built upon a foundation of oppression and injustice. Christmas lays a choice before us. Which king will you serve? Which kingdom will you belong to? Christmas begins in the darkness. But that first Christmas night, light pierced the darkness. A new king was born, a kingdom birthed. But how will that kingdom advance? How would light expel the darkness? The angels tell the shepherds to search for the child king. How will they recognize him? This will be a sign for you, they say. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Yes, those are signs that would identify the child, but they are also signs loaded with significance. You see, many of the key moments of Jesus' life happened at the same time as Jewish feasts. And from the details of Luke's gospel, we can with confidence locate Jesus' birth in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles or shelters. This was a time in the Jewish year when they would build shelters outside of their homes where they would eat their meals in it for the duration of the feast, reminding them of the 40 years they spent in the desert, rescued from slavery in Egypt, living in tents, and God's glory rested upon a tabernacle in the midst of their encampment. The tabernacle was God's way of saying to his people, I'm with you. I dwell with you. When you're wandering the desert living in tents, I will wander the desert living in a tent. When your tent is threadbare, my tent will be threadbare. When your tent is moldy and smelly, my tent will be moldy and smelly. I am not remote, distant, aloof. I am with you. I am with you. The shepherds are told, you will find the child lying in a manger. Now the word manger referred to two things. It referred to the food trough that we often think of in our nativity scenes. But it was also the word for that temporary shelter that families would build outside of the home to eat their meals in. It's a location detail loaded with significance. 
Luke is telling us that the living God shelters with us in Jesus. Now, we very often apply that truth to our lives in very personal ways. This means that Jesus is with me in whatever I'm going through in life, with me in the loneliness, with me in the despair, with me in the prognosis, with me in the operating room, with me in that broken relationship, with me in my fear, with me in, with me in. It is a glorious truth. A truth that should indeed bring comfort to us in the midst of the sorrows and pains of human life. God with us is not less than that. But it is far more than that. You see, when God was with his people in the desert that the Feast of Shelters celebrated, God's presence had purpose. He was forming a people to trust him forming a people to depend on him, forming them to live in step with his word, forming them such that they would enter the promised land to establish a nation of peace and prosperity for all, a nation of justice and equality, a nation of mercy and freedom, such that when the nations around saw how they lived, they would ask the question, who is this God? that calls these people to live this way, bringing a choice before the nations. Which king will you serve? Which kingdom will you belong to? God shelters with us in Jesus. He is with us in the darkness, but also with us for a purpose. That we would be formed as a kingdom people. A people that reveal his goodness, his love, his justice. And how will he form us? In love, he will raise the lowly and humble the proud. In love, he will raise the lowly and humble the proud. It's striking that God chooses shepherds to announce the birth of King Jesus. Shepherds were the lowest on the social ladder. They weren't educated. They had no social power. The rabbis would say, don't buy anything from shepherds because you have no idea where the stuff's coming from. It's like buying things off the back of a truck, right? These shepherds, they're thieves. They were excluded from temple worship. Their work with animals meant that they were ritually unclean. They were religious outcasts. They were barred from giving testimony in a court of law. They weren't considered credible witnesses. It was thought they would just bend the truth for their own devices. From time to time, Lori and I will watch Law and Order, and they'll often say that junkie prostitutes are not credible witnesses. Shepherds were the junkie prostitutes of the ancient world. God chooses them to announce the birth of his son, to announce the why of his coming. I think we might question God's wisdom here, right? Of all the people you could have chosen, 
At least someone credible. At least someone well-spoken. At least someone dressed appropriately and not smelling of sheep. But what if the messengers are part of the message? There have been a number of key times in my life where I've had people that I would least expect it reveal to me a deep truth about who God is. God has spoken to me through that person. A person, if I was completely honest with myself, and I'll try to be here, I would think that I was better than, morally superior to, spiritually more attuned than. But I'm hearing from them something that I can't dismiss. I know it's from God. What's going on in my heart? I'm being exposed, right? I can see my pride, my bigotry, my sin, my judgmental heart. I see the things about myself I never wanted to see, things I want to keep at arm's length. The messenger is exposing more and more of my need. And wow, has that been humbling. That's the very thing that would be happening in every single heart that heard the message of Jesus' birth from shepherds. And every single one of us who have received the message of Jesus' birth have ultimately heard it from the mouths of shepherds. The lowly are being lifted up. The proud are being humbled. This is the way of King Jesus. This is the way of his kingdom. You see, our experience of the world tells us But the rich and powerful they're in, the poor and broken are out. Religion tells us the good are in, but the the bad are out. But the gospel, the message of Christmas, tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a message that scatters us where we think we're gathered, and gathers us where we know we're scattered. It's a message that makes us whole where we know we're broken and breaks us where we think we're whole. It's a message that makes us nothing when we think we're something and makes us something when we know we're nothing. Throughout Scripture, God is constantly choosing the poor, the unloved, the barren woman, the rejected, the cast aside, the weak to fulfill his purposes undermining the idols of our world, undermining what our world worships, undermining the kingdom of Caesar, pushing back against the darkness. But how will the kingdom of Jesus expel the darkness of our world? Well, the manger is not the only sign loaded with significance. There was a second sign the shepherds were told to look for. You will find this child wrapped in swaddling cloths, or as other translations put it, wrapped in bands of cloth. With this detail, we immediately think of a baby blanket, right? Remember when our son Joshua was first born, he would need to be wrapped up in a blanket so tight that he couldn't move, and the moment he could move and get his arms free, he would wail until we would wrap him up again. When we think of swaddling claws, we have that kind of picture in our mind. 
Not so for the shepherds. See, the practice of the day when you would go on a long journey, as Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth to Bethlehem, was to bring these special strips of cloth that were used for wrapping a dead body. Because if someone died along the journey, the law was that they had to be buried within 24 hours, and so you needed to be prepared for that. And so Jesus is wrapped up in what would be readily available, bands of cloth, grave clothes. be striking, wouldn't it? If you went to visit a newborn at a friend or a family member's house and you went into the nursery and they'd laid their child in a coffin, Jesus is marked from his birth for death. A death at the hands of the kingdom of Caesar. A kingdom of injustice and oppression. The Jewish authorities conspire with the Romans to condemn an innocent man. They hold a night trial under the cloak of secrecy and darkness. They've coached their witnesses. They hand him over to the Romans, mocked, whipped and beaten, facing the most brutal death imaginable, a cross that even the Romans later outlawed. Upon his death, he's brought down from the cross and once more wrapped in bands of cloth and laid in a tomb. It's a victory for the kingdom of Caesar. The fight has been fought and it has been lost. Darkness has swallowed up the light. But is that true? Paul in Colossians says that Jesus exposes the powers and principalities, exposes the evil of the kingdom of Caesar, and triumphs over them on the cross. And how did he triumph over them? Well, in the face of that oppression, injustice, and violence, Jesus responds with love with forgiveness. His dying words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His love and forgiveness exposes the darkness of the kingdom of Caesar. What looks like defeat is actually victory. Jesus dies a death to win for himself a kingdom people. Who would like him push back against the darkness with love, And forgiveness. Now you might think it quite odd that in a Christmas sermon I'm pointing to a cross. But it is there that the Christmas story takes us. For these are no ordinary shepherds. The sheep in the fields around Bethlehem were temple sheep. They were sheep that were used for the daily temple sacrifices. Sheep that were used for the Passover feast. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who dies a death in Passover, remembering how God rescued a people from slavery, formed them as his own, and brought them to a new land. We can't separate Christmas from a cross. Can't separate Christmas from resurrection. Can't separate Christmas from ascension. Can't separate Christmas from his coming again to make everything new. For 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet spoke of that future messianic kingdom. And he spoke of it in the past tense. He was so assured 
That this kingdom of shalom, peaceful, flourishing in every aspect of life would indeed one day fill the entire earth. And how can we, he, be so sure? Our first reading that Mark read ends with these words. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal. Zeal has the sense of becoming intensely red. Color flooding the face with a flush of deep emotion. Meaning that the passions that surge within the being of God are directed toward this one end. Everything at God's disposal is given over to this one purpose. The central drive and passion of the living God is moving history toward the final triumph of peace, justice, and righteousness in an eternal messianic kingdom. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we see that in Jesus. For at Christmas, King Jesus was born. A kingdom was birthed. At the cross, a kingdom people was won. In a resurrection, that kingdom's future was assured. In an ascension, Jesus went ahead to prepare that kingdom for us. And when he comes again, he will bring that kingdom in its fullness. To flood the earth with goodness, righteousness, beauty, love, and justice. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christmas then lays a decision before us. Which king will you serve? Which kingdom will you belong to? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let us receive our king. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.